Ah, we might um, just start this morning by praying together. I know we've done a lot of that this morning already, but it um, doesn't hurt to talk to God a bit more. So join me as I pray. Lord God, we do thank you so much for your word. We thank you for the way that it um, speaks to our hearts. Lord, I pray that um, as I share this morning, your words would um, hold fast in our hearts, that the things... Um, the things that you would call us to, the things that you would challenge us with, that they would be the things that would sit with us. Well, we pray that you would um, have your way in this space, here in this service, but also in this building throughout the week. Well, we pray and commit this place to you. We ask that your um, peace would rest here, that it would flow out from this place into the community around it. God, we pray that you would help us to be a people who... Um, honour you in all that we do. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, good morning. Um, if you have been um, joining us, if you're joining us on Zoom or you're joining us through a podcast, welcome. If you're here in person, very, very welcome. Um, it's nice to see so many people with, um, <laughs> I was going to say with faces, of course you have faces, um, with faces, smiling faces joining us this morning. It's lovely. Um, we've been in this series um, since the beginning of the year, if you've been um, with us, um, and we've been looking at the life of Jesus and what it means um, to follow him. For some of us, this is something that we're maybe just exploring. For some of us, this is something that we have questions about, perhaps. And for others of us, this series is a reminder and a refresher, and it kind of helps us renew our commitment to follow Jesus each day to continue to make that choice, that decision. Um, I used to meet with a group of people um, once a week in a wine bar and we used to meet on Wednesday night and we would read the Bible together and we would chat about what that meant for the way that we lived. Um, this was a group that um, hadn't all worked out kind of where they sat or what they believed about Jesus quite yet. Um, everyone in that group wanted to do life well. They wanted to live well. They wanted to make a difference in the world. They wanted to be people who were generous and gracious and patient. They wanted to be better colleagues, better friends, better parents, better children. And when people would ask me what that group was about, I'd say, well, we're a group of people who want to do life well. That's what we're about. And we think that that means figuring out how to do life the way that Jesus did and growing to be more like him. And so we read the Bible together and we challenge each other to make changes in our lives. And each week we check in with each other to see how are we going? How did you go with that thing you wanted to do? That's discipleship. It's really simple. That's the, it's a big word. <laughs> but that's the picture of discipleship. It's about doing life well. And that means doing life with Jesus and doing life with each other. And I share that with you this morning um, as um, the Gospel of Matthew has a lot to say about discipleship and what it means to follow Jesus. This morning we're going to um, look at a passage in Matthew chapter 4 and it describes how Jesus called his very first disciples. Um, before we do, before we read that, just going to do a bit, a bit of a catch-up um, about where we've been and where David left off last week, um, if you haven't been joining us. So David shared with us last week from Matthew chapter 3 about the baptism of Jesus. John baptises Jesus in the Jordan River at Jesus' insistence. Maybe you remember that video that we had, kids' video. Costa, forever in our lives has changed. <laughs> um, 
And Jesus does this to connect with us as humans. And in doing so, God the Father recognises Jesus' choice and commitment to take on the role that is intended for him. And God says, that's my boy. This is the moment that God commissions Jesus, if you like, for his role. And then what we find at the beginning of chapter 4 is that Jesus is led by the Spirit into the desert to be tested by Satan. We're not going to spend time on that today. But if you have a read through it during the week and you have um, questions or things that you want to chat through, um, please do feel free to give someone on the ministry team a call or um, talk to someone else that you know here in the community. Um, We're very happy to chat to you about that. I know David, Aletha and I are always happy to chat to, to you guys if you have questions about scripture or things that challenge you. They probably challenge us as well. So um, we can all learn together. So um, that's to kind of catch us up. We get to this passage that we're going to explore together today. It's in Matthew 4, chapter 12, or ch- chapter 4, goodness me, my brain. Chapter 4, verses 12 to 22, it goes like this. Let's hope we can read well. Um, I can read well. <laughs> when Jesus heard that John, it's John the Baptist, John had been arrested, he left Judea and returned to Galilee. He went first to Nazareth and then he left there and moved to Capernaum beside the Sea of Galilee, in the region of Zebulun and Naphtali. This fulfilled what God had said through the prophet Isaiah. In the land of Zebulun and of Naphtali, beside the sea, beyond the Jordan River, in Galilee, where so many Gentiles live, the people who sat in darkness have seen a great light. And for those who lived in a land where death casts its shadow, a light has shined. From then on, Jesus began to preach. Repent of your sins and turn to God, for the kingdom of heaven is near. One day, as Jesus was walking along the shore of the Sea of Galilee, he saw two brothers, Simon, also called Peter, and Andrew, throwing a net into the water, for they fished for a living. And Jesus called out to them, Come, follow me, and I will show you how to fish for people. And they left their nets at once and followed him. A little farther up the shore, he saw two brothers, James and John, sitting in a boat with their father, Zebedee, and they were repairing their nets. And he called to them to come too, and they immediately followed him, leaving their boat and their father behind. It's a cool passage, isn't it? (laughs) Now, there are a few things that stand out when we hear this story. For me, definitely. One of the big ones is the response of the disciples. They followed at once, immediately. I always hear that and think, my goodness, that's a big decision. And I don't know about you, but I like to take my time with big decisions. Giving up your livelihood and your career, your family's expectations. This is a big deal. This is a big decision. But the disciples seem to make it so simply. How do they do that? We're going to come back to that. We're going to come back to that question. There are two other things that really stand out to me in this passage. The first is in that first section in verses 12 to 14. When John is arrested, Jesus goes home. And then he moves to Capernaum. Strikes me as a slightly odd thing to do. The second is that um, is a, that immediately follows that is this reference to Isaiah 9 that um, Anna read out for us earlier in the service. 
what is the reference doing here in this story? So we're going to look at those two things in turn and then we'll look at the response of the disciples. And then the last thing we're going to do is reflect on what all of that might have to do with, um, with our life and what it might mean for us this week. So if you're counting down, there's four points. This is point one. So if we have a look at verses um, 12 to 14, um, prior to this, um, Jesus was being tested in the wilderness, in the region of Judea. So when John is arrested, Jesus goes home to Galilee. He's been out doing some stuff. He's been out with the spirit. John, John's arrested and he goes home. He goes first to Nazareth and then he moves to Capernaum. Capernaum is a larger town. It's on a trade route. It's by the lake and Jesus goes there. John's arrest is kind of like this signal that his role as the forerunner is now complete and it's time for Jesus, who has been commissioned at his baptism, to commence his public ministry. He's going to stop being a carpenter now. He's going to start preaching, walking, doing things. Great. But Jesus doesn't start with preaching or healing or a miracle of some kind. He goes home. He gets his things together. I imagine he gives his mum a hug, hopefully. And then he moves to this bigger town of Capernaum. Why would he do that? Well, Jesus doesn't say. But when we have a look at the geography, Capernaum makes much more sense than Nazareth as a starting point for a few reasons. Um, strategically, if Jesus is interested in getting the word out and communicating to lots of people and having people hear about him and his message, it's much better to do that in a bigger town that's on a trade route where people are going to be travelling through and taking that news um, more widely. Without social media, we kind of had to have people walking that news around. From Capernaum, news about Jesus will spread quickly. And we know that this is in fact what happens. Relationally, Jesus also um, perhaps knows that people in Capernaum will be more receptive to his message. The people in Nazareth kind of know him as the carpenter or the carpenter's son. And we know from later stories in the gospel that um, Jesus says that no prophet is accepted in his own hometown. There's something about people knowing you your whole life that it's really hard to then transform their view. So Jesus selects a place to begin his public ministry. And it isn't by chance that he's in Galilee. He goes there specifically. And he's specifically in Capernaum. And there's a reason that that that, that is important theologically, which Matthew, um, the writer of this gospel, wants to point out to us. And this brings us to kind of that second point. What is this reference to Isaiah doing here? It's always important for us to remember that while the gospel is the story of Jesus, these are still gospels that are written by people and for people. They're written into a specific period in history. And this helps us understand um, what's being said and perhaps um, helps us apply how it, how it applies to us today. What we find here is that Matthew refers to Isaiah and the forecast role of Galilee in the Messianic story, that, um, you know, the, the people, the Gentiles in Galilee, that things will come out of Naphtali and Zebulun and this is where the Messiah will come from, that passage in Isaiah. 
And Matthew's saying, Jesus is coming from Galilee. He fulfills this prophecy about, um, about him in Isaiah. Um, Matthew is pointing to the reality of who Jesus is and that his actions fit with what is written in the prophets. Jesus is the culmination of the story that we find in the prophets. And Matthew is highlighting for his readers, Jesus is the Messiah. Matthew is writing this gospel into a context. And that context includes um, the views of the Jewish scribes that Jesus couldn't possibly be the Messiah because he wasn't from Bethlehem, wasn't directly from Bethlehem. And this is Matthew's gentle correction and rebuke. Um, that these views are not true, are not correct. They don't fit with the Bible. Matthew makes it very clear that Jesus' life fulfills the words of the prophets. We've seen this again and again already, and we'll continue to see it as we look through Matthew together um, over the coming weeks. And it's worth keeping an eye out. If you're reading through Matthew at home in your um, quiet time or time with God, it's worth keeping an eye out. Like, wh where are all the spaces where Matthew is pointing out on, just so you know, like, this is Jesus and he also fulfills this thing and he also fulfills this thing and he also covers off this piece of prophecy from um, the Old Testament. The second thing that Matthew's doing in using this um, reference is that he's flagging one of his own purposes in writing. This isn't just about Jewish people. This isn't just about Israel. But Galilee, where so many Gentiles live, this reference in Isaiah kind of indicates that though Jesus' um, ministry wasn't um, focused on reaching outside of Palestine, the intent was to reach those beyond Israel. And this kind of lines up where Matthew will take the gospel and take the story moving on. So Matthew has lined up this story for us. Jesus has been commissioned, he's been tested, he's now moved to a place to begin his ministry and he starts with words that are very similar to the words of John the Baptist that we heard earlier. He preaches that the kingdom of heaven is near, repent and turn back to God. This is a really um, brief reference to, to the kinds of things that Jesus was preaching. I think it's safe to say that it's shorthand. I think that Jesus would have said, has said more than this one sentence. And there is this sense that perhaps um, this preaching has been going on for a little, a little while. And as we come to verse 18, um, it goes like this. One day, maybe, one day, as Jesus was walking along the shore of the Sea of Galilee, he saw two brothers, Simon, also called Peter, and Andrew, throwing a net into the water, for they fished for a living. Jesus called out to them and said, come and follow me and I will show you how to fish for people. And they left their nets at once and followed him. So one of those days after Jesus had started publicly preaching, Jesus is walking by the lake and he sees these two guys who are fishermen and he calls out to them and says, come and follow me, I'll show you how to fish for people. And they go with him at once. This is a big call, very big call. For Greg and I, um, moving from Canberra to Melbourne um, to respond to the call of God to be with you here at Northern um, was a big decision. And I like to take my time with big decisions. So I find this passage personally very challenging. And here are a couple of things that I think are going on in this passage, in this story. 
First, I think it's unlikely that this is the very first time that Jesus has met Simon and Andrew. I think it's unlikely that they haven't heard him speak before or heard his message. Jesus would have created quite a stir that people talked about. And fishermen who traded with lots of locals as well as those who were passing through definitely would be in the know if something was going on in town. Second, Jesus' it's in, Jesus' invitation itself is both compelling and a little bit radical. He says to them essentially, I know your skills. I can see what your background and experience has been. I don't want you to throw that experience away. I want you to use the skills that you have in a new way to be part of sharing God's kingdom. I have a place for you. You have experience at gathering fish. And now I want you to work on gathering people. Same skills. You know how to read the weather. You know how to respond to adversity and face hardship. And those things are going to be useful as you follow me. This offer is compelling. Maybe just take a minute. But when someone says to you, you're exactly the person I want to work with. You're the right fit. All your skills and experience, they're valuable. They're useful. And I want you to use them to grow the kingdom of God. This offer is also quite radical. Um, one commentator that I came across this week noted that Jesus, um, what Jesus does here is a serious breach of custom um, the custom or the tradition was for rabbis when they're selecting disciples or followers is that they speak publicly and then potential disciples will come and approach them and say, oh, I'd really like to learn more from you and I'd like to sit at your feet and, and kind of learn, be a learner around you. Um, and this is partially because the person who is making that commitment to be a disciple um, there's a cost involved in them doing that, so it really needs to be their choice. Um, and the other thing is that um, it's partially an honour and pride thing. But if you're a worthy rabbi, if you speak well, then people will come to you. So you shouldn't have to go and seek out your own followers. There's kind of a little bit of a people should come to you, right? <clears throat> Jesus doesn't do this. He goes to people who may not have thought that they would be suitable to be disciples, and he says, I want you to join me. It's a radical request. It's a costly demand. But Jesus' invitation is so compelling that the brothers respond immediately. Who knows? Maybe they'd even thought about following Jesus before, but they were fishermen. They had a job. Disciples of rabbis tended to be scribes, tended to be people who were going to walk that path. I want us to sit with this for a moment. Jesus' offer to us is still as compelling then as it now as it was then. He still says to us, follow me. I will take all of your experience, all of your background, all of your skills, and I will help you use those things to grow the kingdom. You can have a role and a purpose. On one, on one level, when we don't think about the implications and the costs, 
the choice is simple and easy, isn't it? It only becomes complicated when we think about what the cost might be, about what that might involve for us. And then I also want us to sit with this picture of Jesus being quite a different rabbi. He doesn't preach his message and wait for the people to reflect on what he says and kind of come to him. He goes to them. He meets them where they are. In this case, he comes to their workplace and says, hey, you've got some skills, you've got some experience, and that would help you be a great disciple. I think you should give it a shot. How about you come and join me in this work of building God's kingdom? And then let's have a think about Jesus' selection of disciples. What Jesus doesn't say, but is apparent in his choice of disciples, is that he doesn't actually want scribes. He's not interested in having teachers of the law be his disciples. He doesn't want people who have to unlearn traditions in order to hold on to his words. Jesus' very first disciples are very different to those of the other rabbis at the time. There were other people wandering around who were um, preaching and had kind of a collection of disciples at the same time as Jesus. But Jesus selects his disciples first and then they choose to follow him rather than the other way around. Jesus calls those who are in family businesses and trades and later in this, um, as we look at Matthew, we'll see that he calls tax collectors. He calls zealots. They are a ragtag bunch of people. Jesus is radical in his call of disciples, both in how he calls them and in who he calls. And this brings us to part three or four this morning. The response of the disciples to that call. Both accounts that we have in this passage kind of carry this sense of urgency. Immediately they followed, at once. I said just before that if we didn't um, think about the cost, the decision would be easy and simple. So is it that they, these men don't think about the cost? Is that why they follow? I don't think so. I think they knew exactly what they were doing. The cost for them was economic, definitely. They were leaving their home, their livelihood. You can't do that and not expect it to um, impact you economically. In this account, we also see that there are two sets of brothers who are called together. So it doesn't sound like the family business is going to still be there when they come back. The cost was also relational. James and John leave their father in the boat. <laughs> have a picture of that in my mind and wonder what Zebedee's face looks like. Um, this has some pretty serious ramifications socially. Um, in a family-driven and kind of shame-based culture, you don't, you don't leave your parents sitting in a boat. Leaving your father this way would not have brought honour. We also know um, that of the four men that we see here in this passage, at least Peter was married. But possibly some of the others were also. And this economic cost has a flow-on impact for their family responsibilities. 
I don't think it's that these men don't know quite what they're doing. I think they're so captivated by who Jesus is and by this message that he's bringing and that this invitation is enough. This isn't there in the text. But I just imagine that they'd be thinking, this guy we've heard speaking with such authority and he's talking about initiating God's kingdom. And now he said he wants me. He has a place for me, a role for me, for us. Any cost is worth being part of that. I don't think it's a lack of insight on their part. I think it's extraordinary clarity. And it's this clarity that allows the disciples to respond immediately and at once. So what does all this mean for us? How does this passage help us understand who Jesus is and what it means to follow him? I think what we see here is that Jesus seems incredibly clear about his goal and his mission. I think we see here that Matthew, as the writer of this gospel, is making it very clear that Jesus is the Messiah. He's the one the prophets point to. He's the one that will restore relationship between people and God. I think we see that Jesus goes about his mission in a very different way to other teachers or rabbis at the time. Jesus isn't just another teacher. He doesn't wait for people to initiate with him. He goes to them. He says, I see what you're doing. I know your experience and I have a place for someone just like you. So for us, we need to hear this invitation from Jesus. His call to discipleship starts with coming, him coming to you and saying, the kingdom is near. I want you to come and join me. I want you to follow me. And we have a choice. Every day we get to choose to follow Jesus. I wonder if you've made that choice today, actively. And when we choose to follow, there is going to be a cost. The cost might be economic. It might be your comfort. It might be relational or social. It may be a very small cost or it might be quite a big cost. Do we factor that in and say, you know what? Jesus, I'm in. No matter the cost, I'm in. And then if we've been making this choice and continuing to follow Jesus, how are we taking our skills and our experience our gifts and our talents, to honour God and to grow the kingdom. What does that look like for you at the moment? These disciples were gatherers of fish and Jesus said, I want you to do the same thing but with people. What does that look like for you? Are you a gatherer? Are you a promoter? Are you someone who's good at getting the message out? Are you a connector? Are you good at helping people? Are you a fixer or a problem solver? Are you someone who's great at figuring out systems and structures? Are you an engineer or a manager? Are you a listener? 
Jesus has a place for all people with all kinds of experience. And he invites us not to leave our experience at the door, but to bring it to him and to let him transform it and use it to extend the kingdom. We're just going to um, take some time to respond to Jesus. And I um, just want to give you a few things to reflect on. But um, as David said earlier, you, you take this time to spend time with you and God. So this morning, um, how to think about what is your response to Jesus? Are you ready to say, Jesus, I'm in? Do you say that every day? How are you taking your skills and experience, your gifts and your talents to grow the kingdom? What does that look like for you? Or what could it look like? How about you dream a little bit with God this morning? How are you following Jesus' example to go out to people and meet them where they're at and not waiting for them to come to you? We also think um, when we think of this passage, the kind of clarity that the disciples experience as they choose to follow Jesus that day by the lake. That clarity is a, um, a gift and a wonderful thing and we could pray to have that kind of clarity in our lives. So I'll just close in prayer and then we'll have um, some music play and take some time. Lord God, we thank you that you um, don't wait for us to come to you, that you come to us, that you meet us where we're at. You meet us in our experiences, in our background, in in the skills that we have, the hearts that we have. And you say, I'll use that. I want you. I have a place for you. Lord, we pray that um, we would step into those places that you have created for us. And Lord, you would help us to use those places to bless others, to point others to you. Well, we pray that um, as we go out from this place into the week, that you would continue to give us eyes to see people around us who might need to connect with you, that you would continue to open our hearts to the, the kinds of things that you might have for us to do in this world. And we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.